Acts chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I have a question for you. Anybody tell me where the Great Commission is found in Scripture? Do I hear one? Matthew's Gospel. Okay, anybody help me out with a verse and chapter? 28. Here's the easy way to remember it. It's the last two or three verses in the book of Matthew. It's the last thing that Matthew records. So now, somebody else other than Inez, can you tell me what the Great Commission is? Ah, that would be good for us to know. Jesus said to his followers, to the 11 apostles that are left, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he said, and lo, I am with you always. That's that verse where you don't go up in airplanes because he's only with us low. You know, not, not with us when we get up high. That's the great commission given to his followers, and we believe that it's our great commission, is it not? So how come we don't know where it's at? How come we don't know what it says? This would be one for you to memorize. If it's what we're all about, it would be good if we what? If we knew it. The whole idea there is to make disciples. The other three are participles, going, baptizing, teaching. It's the process. Wherever you go, do what? Make disciples. When you're at the grocery store, if you can, talk to somebody and make what? A disciple. A disciple is just one who becomes a follower of Christ. And it's done by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then by teaching them what? To observe all that he has commanded us. It might also be good if we knew what all that was, wouldn't it? Let me read you a little story. Whatever happened to evangelism? This is a story written based on the words of Jesus to two of his followers when he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I want you to leave fishing with nets. I want you to go out and we're going to catch what? We're going to catch men who will be followers. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes and filled with fish, and every fish was hungry. Week after week, month after month, and year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and they talked about their call to fish. They talked about the abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as, a, fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of a fisherman. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings for local fishing headquarters. The plea was everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they didn't do, however, they what? Didn't fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. 
The board was formed by those who had a great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, to promote the idea of fishing in faraway streams and lakes where many other fish of different colors lived. Also, the board hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, to decide what new streams should be thought about, but the staff and the committees did not what? Fish. Are you catching the idea here? <clears throat> Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on needs of the fish, the nature of the fish, how to define fish, the psychological reaction of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught fish had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Further, the fishermen built large printing houses and publishing fishing guides. Presses were kept busy day and night to produce materials solely devoted to fishing methods, equipment, and program to arrange and encourage meetings to talk about fishing. A speaker's bureau was also provided, scheduled special speakers on the subject of fishing. After one stirring meeting, the necessity of fishing, one fellow left the meeting and he went fishing. The next day he replied that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and he was scheduled to visit all the big meeting places to tell everybody how he did it. So he quit being fishing in order to have time to talk about the experience to other fishermen. He also was placed on the fishermen's general board as a person having considerable experience. Now it's true that many fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties, some near waters and bore the smell of dead fish. They received a ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs, and in fact they claimed to be fishermen, yet they never fished. They wondered about those who felt that <clears throat> it was a little, a little use to attend and talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested, those who don't really fish can't be fishermen. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never catches Fish is one following if he isn't fishing. Well, I better close in prayer with that. This is a bad spot to be. I've just laid out something that convicts me because I'm not a good fisherman. You know why? Fear. Fear of what? Fear, when it started out early in life as a Christian, that I didn't know enough scripture to lead somebody to the Lord. I remember Peggy and I were in a pretty good-sized church when we had not been believers too long and had a great youth pastor. And He came to us one day and he said, we're going to do an evangelistic outreach with all these youth. We want you to come and be there. If any of the kids have questions, you can take them to scripture. I panicked. I don't think I know enough scripture to take anybody through and lead them to the Lord. Do you? I mean, I was panicked. So real quick, somebody said, well, just take them through Romans Road. 
Romans has a road. So quick, somebody had to say, start here, go here and there, and I'm praying, don't let anybody come. <laughs> Why? Fear. Fear that I don't know enough. Fear also of rejection. You see, I don't want to be labeled a Bible thumper. I want everybody I meet to what? To like me. And if I'm going to get out there and start pumping out Scripture to them, they're going to walk away and not want to hear from me because I'm a fanatic. So fear keeps me from fishing. I don't know what keeps you from fishing, but every one of us should be fishers of men. Here's what I found. We don't fish because we don't understand the passage I'm about to take you to. Acts chapter 1, beginning through 6 through 8. <clears throat> now this is a passage where Luke is recording the words of Jesus right before he ascends into heaven. And when he finishes the words, he ascends up in and he is, they're told by angels, watch, he will come back the same way he went. But these words are important for us to understand. I'll begin in verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? What was it they wanted? It's time for a king. It's time for you to do that. You know, How long are we going to wait? Can you imagine back then if we told them at least 2,000 years? They would have said, no, no way. Any moment he has to what? Come. We are still today saying what? Any moment he has to come. Why? The world's in such a mess. He said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. With that he what? Ascended into heaven. Last words of him were, Make disciples, baptizing, teaching. Now it's what? Be a witness. Now, a witness here is a judicial term. It's a courtroom term. It means somebody who has seen something, somebody who can testify to something firsthand knowledge. See, it's, it's not tell you what somebody else said. We have a lot of that going on in the news lately. Somebody else said, so therefore it's true. Secondhand information. This, you have to have firsthand information. So to be... A disciple maker, all you have to do is what? Tell people what you have seen, heard, and know that Jesus did in your life. It's very simple. I, you know, I don't have to know any special scriptures. It's good if I do. But all I have to know is my what? My story. Do you have a story to tell? Can you tell somebody... Well, I'll tell you the title of my story. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. Right out of amazing grace. See, at age 40, God turned my life around, and I have a story to tell. Now, if you read further in Acts and go into the very first message that Peter preaches, most of what he preaches is his story. This one whom you crucified, 
I saw him raised from the dead. He is the Christ. How do I know that? I saw it. I've experienced it. Let me tell you everything I know. He didn't quote out of the New Testament. Why didn't he do that? It wasn't there yet. It was still being made up as they're going along. So they only had what? Here's what I saw. Here's what I know. Here's what is true. And somebody out there needs truth. They will listen. So today I plan to tell you my story. Now, in doing so, I'm going to go back and cover some passages in John that Pastor Brett has covered. Not to correct. Wouldn't do that. But I'm going to show you how those passages fit to my life and are true there. We are lucky to have Pastor Brett preach every week. You know, I listen in the back with the pastor's ears. We don't listen well. We're always making up sermons while we're sitting there. But I listen and I can tell you this, this man works hard every week to make sure he is bringing us the truth as best he can according to God's word. I listen. He is not just throwing stuff together. He has studied and studied hard. We are fortunate that he does that. So I appreciate what he's doing. Do we have disagreements sometimes? Oh, of course. But not on the major issues. I can tell you this. He is a good teacher of the word, and he wants us to have exactly what it says, even if that means going into some tough passages. You know, I love to skip around those. You know, let Pastor Brett teach you that one so that I don't have to answer the but what about and what if and the all of those. So let me tell you my story. I prayed a lot about this message this week and that it would go from somewhere and in somewhere. Now normally for me to do this, my story message, it's about two hours and 45 minutes. I'm planning to cut it down a little. But I'm in a very difficult spot. You see there's a potluck out there and the aroma is coming in and I can see some of you are going to be drifting off. So. If we get to there, Peggy's going to give me the high sign, which means close in prayer. That's, what, that's Peggy's job. So if you're wondering where I'm going, just watch her. If she doesn't give the high sign, then I must be okay. We'll talk later about what you do. <clears throat> I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I... See, the early years of growing up, I'll make it very simple. I grew up in a household with a mother who was Catholic background. My father was Protestant. Neither of them practiced their faith. We had no religious training. They decided early in life, we'll just let the kids decide for themselves what they want to be. So, no training. I lived in a house where love was not shown. I think love was there, but I never saw it. So I learned very early, there must be something wrong with me. But if I got a really good grade on a paper, or if I excelled in something, then they were proud, and proud equaled what? Love. And so I set out in life with this goal. You must do what? Well. Because if you don't do well, nobody's going to love you. So as you go out and do well, Everybody goes, how good, but now next you got to do what? 
better. And then you got to do what? Better. And better until one day it felt like I had eight balls in the air juggling. Nobody ever did eight balls before and everybody going, wow. And then somebody come up and says, can you do nine? And I knew if I did nine, all of them were going to what? Fall. And then everybody would say what? What a failure. And then they would know what I always knew for all my life. You're not worth anything unless you what? Do well. So my early years <clears throat> were found in John chapter 5. So if you turn to John with me, I'm going to go back over some of those difficult passages. I'm lucky I don't have to explain them. I just have to say that was my life. John chapter 5, verse 44. Here's what Jesus said to the religious leaders of the time. John chapter 5, verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? I lived my life to get somebody else to what? Say, good job. There's no room to look to God for that. So the first 40 years of my life, didn't want anything to do with that. My sister took me to Catholic Church when I was about 13, 14. Spent a few years in there. I actually sang in their choir. I sang in Latin. I don't know anything about Latin. I saw a picture of a cross with a Jesus on there, but I never heard Jesus, and I never found him, and I left when I was 14 or 15. I decided church is for cripples, for weak people. I'm not that person. I'm a strong person. I can do everything. And so I don't need church and I don't need to go there. I'm as good as any of those in there. And the truth was, I was. But they were saved and I was not. <clears throat> so I lived for the praise of other people. Started out in life, 18 years old, graduated high school. First thing God do is find a pretty girl, get married. Found one called Peggy. Then you get a house. Then she tells you, you're going to have visitors. Is your mother coming? No, 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 this one's staying. Uh oh we're going to have a child, a son. Then four years later, we're going to have another visitor, another son. Another son in another approximate four years. We're pretty spaced out, pretty good. Work hard, get a good job. Advance in my work. Rise up in plumbing. I went through apprenticeship became a journeyman plumber, then became a foreman, started running big projects, had a truck, good pay, got everything going, and I am the most unhappy guy you've ever met. We were living in California at that time, and I used to watch Andy and Opie on Mayberry. You know Andy and Opie? They're, that opening scene where they walk along the dirt road and Opie takes a rock and throws it out there, there's happy music and they're carrying a fishing pole, and I thought, you know, if I could only find Mayberry, then I'd be happy. Well, we moved to Medford. It's not Mayberry. But I was looking for that place, and it wasn't happening. So I found in those early years of my life, I was really living out the life of Ecclesiastes. If I only get a little bit more, then I'll be happy. No, if I only get a little bit more, then I'll be happy. Get a new car, everybody goes, wow, 
you must be really doing good. While you must really be doing good says what? You are important and acceptable. About three, four weeks later, nobody is wowed that you got a new car. Unless you do what? Get another one. Or something else. And you got to just try to get that. As it says in Ecclesiastic, he's chasing after the wind. And the wind goes what? Round and round and round. He ends up only with this. Vanity of vanity. All is worthless. Nothing satisfies. We moved to Medford. We began to have some difficulties. I came to the point in life that I wanted to run away from that pretty lady. I don't know where I wanted to go. Rather than go to work, I wanted to get on I-5 and just start driving south. I kind of pictured in my mind that one day I'd be working in a little diner in Arizona, washing dishes, sleeping in the back room, but I would be what? Happy. Got to go find it. Happiness must be a place. But I couldn't find that. <clears throat> there came a point, though, that God said, I have a plan for your life. You don't know it yet, but I've been working all along. I brought you to Medford to let you see Mayberry is not there. So God began to draw me. That's in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus said, no one can come to me, to Jesus, unless the Father who sent me does what? Draws. That's, that's God saying, time for you to come. I have a plan for your life. You don't know what it is, but right now I'm calling you to come. I hadn't been in church since I was maybe 14. And it was Catholic church, and I hated it. It was terrible. The priest wasn't nice. There wasn't any preaching. There was all this kneeling and standing. I didn't understand any of it, but the guy up in front in the corner did. So I did what he did. When he stood, I stood. When he kneeled, I kneeled. I had it all figured out. This is the way you do it. I said in a office that I was working in an air conditioning and heating company. I was designing systems, but I sat there one day and I'm so empty inside, so hurting, that I don't know what to do. And for the first time in my life, I got a phone book out. I opened yellow pages. Anybody know what yellow pages are anymore? <laughs> I said to somebody, we can look in the yellow pages, and they looked at me like, you're kidding. It's right on your phone. <laughs> I don't have one of those phones, but I still look in the yellow pages, but I got the yellow pages out and I turned to churches. I've never done this in my life. And I started going down the list. I think I was looking for a name that sounded right. I made a list and I wadded it up and I threw it away. I had so much pride I couldn't come. So this happened time after time while I'm still planning Maybe I just should run away. I want to run away from all this responsibility. I can't keep those balls in the air anymore. It's about to come down. My cousin had moved here, and his wife had a tragic accident. He called me and said she was tossed out of her car, rolled over on her, and she was killed. I went and I visited with him, spent a little time. She was attending a little tiny church in Central Point. I mean little tiny. It made this one look like a mega church, you know. Small. Well, they were going to have a service for her, and, you know, you should go for your cousin. Peggy was pretty sure 
that I wouldn't. She always wanted to go to church. She really did. She kind of grew up in church. In fact, I can share this because now Peggy tells me she never wants to hear my sermons before I preach. So what I'm going to share will either be okay or I'll be in trouble. <clears throat> we'll shoot for okay. But when she was a young girl, her grandmother gave her a dollar, a silver dollar, if she would go forward and give her life to Christ. I didn't know you could buy it, but a silver dollar did it. <clears throat> I think, well, I don't know what you spent the dollar on, but you don't have it today, I know that. Anyway, <clears throat> it came for that service, and I decided we should go. First time I've been in church, and I mean it's a small church. I walked in the door, the pastor's standing there, and he's bigger than I am, and he's an intimidating force, but he put his hand out and shook my hand, and I knew at that moment what I was looking for was in there. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was in there. So we came, and we went that day. I don't know if I heard any of the message. I just knew I want to come back. Now I got a problem. Because church is for weak people. And I can't admit that I'm weak. So I told Peggy, I said, you know, it's not really nice to go once for Don and then not go again. So we should go again for Don. So we did. Next problem, how do I go the next week? Because see what's happening. That pastor, I'm pretty sure, was meeting with my cousin. My cousin was saying, here's what Bob's problems are, because this pastor is preaching right to me. Everybody else could go home. I mean, they are messages right to me. So I finally said to Peggy, you always wanted to go to church. I'll go for you. Aren't I a nice guy? I didn't have to admit I was weak. Some, my, my cousin gave me my first Bible. You know, I'm sitting in the living room, and he got it, and he says, open it. So I opened it. I don't know what to do with this thing, because I don't know anybody I know ever carried one. And so I put it over on the table, and I waited till everybody left the room before I would get it out and open it. And if anybody came to the room, I put it down. I didn't want to be caught reading that thing. But I started reading the Bible. I started searching in the Bible. I started getting insights. I started meeting with the pastor. I'm growing and getting closer and closer to whatever the truth is. While we're in church, Peggy heard a message there that you must have a point of beginning. She was pretty sure that was wrong. She'd been in church all her life, loved going to church. So the pastor and his wife came over one night, and they're talking to me, and I'm telling them, oh, I'm reading this, I'm learning this, I'm studying. You see, I'm carrying out another passage. John chapter 5, verse 39. He told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. That. That's what I was doing. Whatever is in the scripture, I'm going to find it. But he said this, and it is these that bear witness of me. When you search the scriptures, Bob, who should you find? Jesus. But I'm looking for the verse that gives me what I want. I didn't understand it's in him. So anyway, he turned to Peggy that night and he said, where are you at with the Lord Peggy? And Peggy began to cry. She didn't know why. She didn't want to cry in front of these people. She said, well, you've said there has to be a point of beginning. I'm not sure I think that's true. I've always gone to church. He said, Peggy, all I can do is take you to Scripture. She has no idea what Scriptures he took her to. I do not know either. But I know that night, 
he finally said, we just need to leave you, and it's between you and the Lord. And that night she said, I need to go outside. She went outside in simple prayer. Lord, if I don't have you, I have nothing. I need you to come into my life. And he did. She came in to tell me. She said, I think I have the Lord. And I said, what do you mean think? Well, the next day, the pastor and his wife came over, and I'm standing down the living room. They're all hugging Peggy because they're so excited because she belongs to the club. And for the first time, it felt like they were saying, Bob, you don't belong. See, she's in our group. You're not. And I felt being lost even more. I decided that weekend I would go find God or else. So I went up to Willow Lake. Anybody know where Willow Lake is? I went up there and I took my Bible. And I started walking. And I started reading. And I started praying. I did everything I could to get what she got and I thought, this isn't fair. She studied nothing. She did nothing. I'm doing it all, and I can't get it. That's the truth. I didn't get it. So I went that day, and I learned so much about my life, and I learned about where I've been, and I learned from God. He was turning the lights on all around. The one thing he wouldn't do is give me what I wanted. I wanted what she had. He says, it's not found in Scripture. It's found in him, Jesus. I came home that day and I was the most depressed I'd ever been. Next day was Sunday, going to church, and I made a decision. I go one more day. If that pastor doesn't have something to help me get what she got, we're done. We're not going back and she isn't going either. I'm really a nice guy, don't you think? That's what nice guys do who are hurting so bad. We went into that church that Sunday and he started singing stuff. Songs and he sang a song, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. And I stopped and I thought, I can't sing this. It's not true. All of a sudden, God had, had put me in a place where I was hearing things and I couldn't get out of this pit. And he announced his sermon was going to be on the Good Samaritan. You know the story, right? I thought, I don't need this. I've been a good guy all my life. I've tried to be the good guy. I've tried to do that. I've tried to please everybody. But I'm still empty. He took that message and he got to the point, he said, and the good Samaritan came along and he bound up the wounds of the man alongside the road. And he lifted him out and he took him to the inn and he took care of him. And he said, you know, that's exactly what Jesus does for us when we're in the pit of our life. He reaches down and he lifts us out. And I sat there and I was in the deepest pit I'd ever been and I'm going to tell you, it's the only place I've ever seen Jesus, but I, in my mind, I saw Jesus reach down with his hand. And I didn't question. I just said, Lord, save me. I can't get out. I can't do it anymore. And all of a sudden, I wasn't in the pit anymore. My life was changed. I'm sitting there startled. I didn't do anything. I think God was up there finally. You'd let me do I save, you give up. See, I came to understand this whole drawing thing when it says in Matthew's Gospel, I think it's chapter 10, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, I was weary, 
and heavy laden, trying to live up to what I thought you had to live up to, to be okay. And I wasn't okay. I went out of that service that day puzzled. I couldn't understand what happened because I'm, I'm the doer. You got to do something to earn it. And God was saying, no, you got to just give up and I will save you. Went home, I sat on the couch and I said to Peggy, I think I just found the Lord. You know what her answer was? You think? <laughs> don't you know? I don't understand this. How I could understand scripture and never understand that it's just surrendered to Jesus. I'm not a stupid guy, but I tell you that is spiritually discerned. It is discerned by the weary and by the tired. You see, that is my story. You think there's some people in this world who need to hear that? So how come I'm not telling you? See, I'm telling a lot of you, but I'm telling you that every one of us needs to have a what? A story. Do you, do you have a story? Can you tell somebody how your life got changed and make it simple because that's what the world needs to hear you can take them to scripture that is the way many people have been led to the lord but i'm telling you the very simple way is this i really don't know how this works but here's what i do know i was lost now I'm found i was blind and now i'm see but what about the pygmies back here that live in and never hear the gospel you know, I don't know about them, but here's what I know. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. You want to take me on any other what-ups? I'll take you right back to what? My story. Jesus changed my life. It has never been the same since. Turn to John chapter 4 with me. Another passage that Pastor Brett... Well, story of the Samaritan woman at the well. <clears throat> Jesus is on his way from Judea back to Galilee. He has to stop at Jacob's well, which is in Samaria. It's about noon, warm part of the day. He's, he's sitting there. His disciples go into town to buy supplies. That's my paraphrase. Okay. Up comes a Samaritan woman. I'm pretty sure with her head down. Because, see, all of the women would draw their water earlier in the morning because it's cooler. But for some reason, she knew she was an outcast and not accepted. She came at noon, the hottest part of the day, to draw water. Jesus initiated a conversation with her, something a Jewish man does not do with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. He said, draw me some water. She tells him how that's not proper for that to happen. He, he just can't do that. You can't talk to a Samaritan woman, Jesus said, if you understood who you're talking to right now, you would have asked me to give you living water. She looks around and says, you don't even have a pot. How are you going to dip it in? How are you going to get it? She's in the logic of, just like me, in the logic of, he said, I have water to give you that will be a well springing up to eternal life. And all of a sudden, she gets it a little. She says, I'd like some of that. You know, if I don't have to come every day and draw water, and I have permanent water, this saves a lot of work for me. 
So Jesus says, go, go get your husband. Uh-oh. She said, uh, I don't have one right now. He said, you said it correctly. See, you've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. She goes, uh-oh, I think you're a prophet. I think so too. He didn't know her from man in the moon. Okay. So when somebody confronts you with your life that's sinful, what do you do? Change the topic. What she did. She said, can we talk about worship? Your people say we should worship down there in Jerusalem. We say we should worship at this mountain. Which is the best place to worship? Let's talk about something else. He made it clear to her there's a time coming, and I believe he's talking about 70 AD, when both these will be destroyed. Nobody will worship at either place. But the Father is looking for someone who worships in spirit and truth. It's from the heart that you worship, not the place you choose. <clears throat> she said, I've heard there's a Messiah coming. He's going to tell us everything we knew. Jesus looked at her, and I'm sure he said it slowly. I am he. She just met who? The Messiah. He just revealed himself to her. The disciples come back. She drops her water pot. Doesn't say this, but I'm going to make an assumption. I think she ran back to the city. She got back there, and in verse 29, she says, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? I think it is, she's saying. Here's a woman that's from a pretty low, unreputable past, not accepted by her community, now inviting everyone in the city to do what? Come see what I've seen. Now let's jump down to verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me all things that I have done. What was her story? I met Jesus and he what? Told me everything I had done. And as she told that story, what happened? Many Samaritans became what? Disciples. Well, if the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman of ill repute, could lead people to the Lord with a simple phrase, what do you think we could do? We have to watch and look for who? The weary. The tired. See, when I had it all together and I had all those balls in the air, I wasn't interested in Jesus because I'm doing it. But when I got exhausted and tired and knew I couldn't do it anymore, I needed somebody to come and say, would you like to look at another way? Well, what do you know about it? I lived it. You see, I was once blind. Now I see. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once weary, but now I have rest. Would you like the same? If you have a story to tell, how long since you've told anybody? You don't have to quote scripture. If you can, that's a good thing. But can't you just tell them when God changed your life? It's a powerful story. There's a world full of people out there, we call them fish, who are waiting to be caught by a fisherman with a what? Story. Now, if you're here today and you're questioning, I don't know when I have that point of beginning. 
I don't know how God works in everybody. He might work different in you. But I read scripture that says, well, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. You must be what? Born again. That's a point of beginning. There's a point when you were in the world and there's a point when you became in Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, first, second, I'll get that. Second Corinthians 5.17, they are a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you got that point of beginning? See, I'd hate to have you leave here today and be like Peggy was saying, I've always loved to go to church. If God is tugging on your heart today, maybe you just need to slip out in the backyard and just say, Lord, if I don't have you, I don't have anything. I don't want to play church. I want to have a story. I think we need to take that story to the world. I think the world needs to hear it. My favorite song is one that comes right out of John chapter 4. I'm going to try it here. If I get on the wrong key, we'll have trouble, but we'll try it. It's called Fill My Cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy And then I heard my Savior speaking What did he say? Drop from my well, it never will run dry. So I said, here's my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. There are millions in this world who are craving the pleasures earthly things afford. But none can match the wondrous treasure that I find in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me what? Here's the invitation. So, my brethren, if the things this world gave you leave hungers that won't pass away, my blessed Lord, he'll come and save you if you'll kneel to him and humbly pray. What do we pray? If you know it, sing it with me. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. This is my prayer that some of you today meant that. That you were lifting your cup and saying, God, Whatever is going on in my life, I need it to change. I need to come back to my simple story. There are people I work with. There are people around me. There are people in the line. You know, one of Peggy's greatest ministries takes place in the ladies' restaurant. She's run into more ladies hurting. And when she asked what's going on, you know what they've done? They told her. 
and you have the opportunity just to ask somebody, how are you doing, and they say, not good. Tell me what it is. Now, can I tell you how I was there and God changed me? I'll turn it over to Pastor Brad.